Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, it's time to run or drive, we like to say, with the Game Changers, and you are in the right place. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Quick sidebar, this episode, as always, is dedicated to the original series sponsor, our late friend, Larry Stoley. Larry, we're toasting you with a coffee cup full in a Yeti mug. There you go. So, let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from the 2017 AASA Digital Aftermarket Survey, and they're actually quoting some statistics from McKinsey 2016. Let me read it to you. Quote, automotive companies are increasingly adopting new, intelligent, and connected products at an increasing pace. Listen to the numbers now. Addressing a $1.5 trillion market opportunity in digital and connected services. And the comment goes from this report, nowhere in the automotive space is this more important than the independent aftermarket and spare parts segment. So let's just let that sink in. I have a pop quiz for all of you. What will have $850 billion annual revenues in North America and a projected growth of $1.2 trillion by 2030? I know, I know you didn't call in, you didn't listen in to have a quiz, but seriously, I think you already have a clue from my opening quote. It's the automotive aftermarket segment. Compared to modest growth in traditional aftermarket sales, the digital aftermarket will explode in a good way. But this means companies in this segment need to have operational efficiencies and flexibility like never before if they're going to be positioned to embrace these opportunities. We have two special guests today, and I'm going to tell you who they are, and then we'll introduce them with their opening quote. So first up, a brand new panelist here on Game Changers. His name is Chris Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R. He's the Vice President of Member Services for AASA, that's the Automotive Aftermarket Suppliers Association. We'll hear from him in just a moment. And joining him on the panel is our good friend, longtime supporter and panelist on the series, William. He goes by Bill Newman, North America Strategy Industry Advi- Strategic Industry Advisor at SAP. So Chris has sent us a quote from John Maxwell. John Calvin Maxwell, born in 1947. I call him a young guy, American author, speaker, and pastor who has written many books focused on leadership. Two, you may recall, you may know these titles, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership and the 21 Indispensable Qualities of a Leader. Millions and millions and millions of copies. Here's the quote. Good leaders must communicate vision clearly, creatively, and continually. However, the vision doesn't come alive until the leader models it. Chris Gardner, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Well, Bonnie, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for allowing me to participate. Oh, we're, we're delighted. I hear a little Southern accent. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we get up close and personal with you. Tell me, Chris Gardner, are you a follower fan, and were you one of the millions of people who bought books from John Maxwell? And how does this quote apply to our topic, talking about this explosion in the automotive digital aftermarket segment? 
Uh, I have. I've read uh, several books uh, by Maxwell, and uh, I think that uh, today's uh, crazy world of innovation, development, and technology disruption, it takes a new kind of leader. And I think today's effective leader are those who set the example and demonstrate uh, a different type of attitude, almost a servant leader attitude. And that's a very powerful approach to inspiring others to get on board and work toward the same goal which I think is required as opposed to just having an individual lay down the law and set the vision and tell everybody else what to do. Everybody's got to participate in this uh, in innovating uh, in our industries in the future. Very, very interesting. Tell me something. Is this push for these aftermarket, for this, this new digital explosion, Chris, is it coming from from users? Is it coming from the customer? Is it coming from people who say, wow, this digital stuff, this Internet of Things, really cool. I want that in my car. Or is it coming from people who are trying to disrupt the industry? Where's the push-pull coming from? Can you see it? Well, I think it's coming from all of the above, uh, Bonnie, because more so now than ever, um, consumers, users, as we call them in our industry, motorists, Mm-hmm. Um, are demanding more and more access, more and more power uh, with the, dig- with the uh, smart devices they have with them and they carry with them. And so what happens is because they're used to using these technologies with their personal life, with fitness mm-hmm. and other, you know, secu- IoT in the home and all these other types of uh, applications, they're demanding them in the vehicles. So what's happening is, uh, the automotive industry and the emerging technology companies, uh, the Silicon Valley influence, they're responding to that, that they've already developed for consumers in other industries, and now they're applying them to automotive. Thank you very much. Yes, we love our cars, don't we? But that brings up a whole other subject of if they're going to be, quote-unquote, our cars in the near future or ever again. And we'll talk a little bit a little bit about that tangentially. Chris, pleasure to have you on the show, and thank you so much for joining us. And now let's turn to Bill Newman. And, Bill, I'm not going to ask what's in your cup yet, but I'm always intrigued. Bill has sent us a quote from Albert Einstein, who I think, Bill, is winning the award for the most frequently quoted special uh, source quote source on Game Changers in recent months. He's overcome Darwin, Drucker, and Yogi Berra. So go figure that one. Here's the quote. I don't need to know everything. I just need to know where to find it when I need it. Bill Newman, how are you? Oh, we're great, Bonnie. Thanks again for having uh, me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it, too. You helped organize it. So guess what? You get to be on the show. Bill, talk to me about this quote from Einstein. Who needs to know what, where do they find it? Come on. What's happening here? Well, I think it goes to the current state of the industry. And, uh, you know, in in the old days, it was, I I need a part. I need it. It'll be on a shelf. I'll just pull it. I'll use it when I need it. We're having to move more towards a, um, as Chris was saying earlier, a more digitally connected environment where things are not just estimated, but they're predicted with really great accuracy. And Mm -hmm. there are just so many things that are happening in the automotive space where that type of precision, accuracy, not just in terms of how we build products, but how we get products from, from point A to point B is is really compelling, and when you take a further look into into the aftermarket space with independent aftermarket and spare parts, that is really a a big part of the success of the um, of how that that segment functions. 
And uh, you just can't do it the same way that we've been doing it over and over again. So it's really incumbent to leaders to, you know, um, be able to find what they need um, when they need it and, and maybe not have all the full understanding of all this digital stuff that may be going on because it can be a little intimidating to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but definitely, you know, be able to embrace that change. Very interesting. And is this exciting for the industry? Are they just seeing dollar signs, Bill, when when I mentioned these very large numbers, very impressive numbers of the potential of this market in North America, and, and we haven't even talked globally yet. Uh, is this exciting or is this pressure? Oh, my goodness. We have to reconfigure our supply. Oh, my goodness. We have to get involved with more sensors. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Do we have to retool our factories? They're waiting for this stuff. Are we ready? Is this a pressure or is this a wow for for the people in the industry right now? Well, it's interesting, and I'd love to hear Chris's opinion on this, but when we've spoken to the to the association before, there seems to be two two types of people in the room, the, the, the one group of people there who are saying just like you're uh, describing, wow, this is coming my way. How am I going to respond to that? And there's another group of people that are, are, are kind of waiting to see still, which is kind of interesting because you wonder, you know, what, what is really going to be their business position in say another five, 10 years if they, if they don't respond to what's going on around them. Um, but it's really interesting to see what is happening then with that first group of people who are taking advantage of all the new product innovations and being able to touch the, the customer, the driver, consumer a little bit more closely and, and those, all those new opportunities in what we call that new aftermarket segment. Thank you. How new is it, by the way, Bill? Is this something new within the past two years, five years, ten years, three months, two days? How new is it? You know, I'll defer to Chris a little bit, but I think okay. we've begun to see it with some of the customers that, that we've begun to work with over the last couple of years, just as more technology and more um, intelligence has gone into those products. Um, but it, it, nevertheless, it's very exciting. I like that. Okay, Chris Gardner, we have a little question posed to you by Mr. Newman. Any thoughts on that? How new is new in this aftermarket explosion or the potential explosion monetarily? Well, it's a, it is, it's, a, it's a great question to consider what is new and how new it is. Um, the supply chain transformation when it comes to new uh, technologies applied to supply chain and to um, analytics and to better capabilities for predicting demand, those have been involved, evolving for several years. So business intelligence mm-hmm. tools and, and, and data analytics have been evolving for a few years. So that's not new, but it's getting better and improving every year. What is new is uh, the new vehicle technologies, the connected vehicles, telematics, some of those things are, are fairly new to the, to the industry over the past few years. But what's really very new, and, and Bill hinted at that, at this, is that hard parts are going to become smart parts in the future. So actual mm. parts will have, as you mentioned exactly. earlier, sensors, but not just detecting physical parameters around a part or a system, you know, pressure, temperature, flow, thickness, all these things, but also the ability to write back to a part. That's being developed now by a good number of the members of our association. And so, so when I say smart, I mean you can read, you can get information from, but also you can write back to the part and actually enhance, tweak, mm-hmm. change, or optimize. That's what's very new. 
Very interesting. Tell me about your members. Who are they? Just tell us a little bit. Uh, let's level set. Who is, where is this Automotive Aftermarket Suppliers Association? Who is, where do they come from? Is this just North America? Just to give us a little bit about your, your group, please, Chris. Okay, Bonnie. Um, we, the members of our association are the suppliers, the, the leading suppliers of parts, chemicals, tools, and diagnostics to the North American aftermarket, but they also export. So we have we have a number of our members are global companies. And for as far as this discussion today, they, they range from companies that manufacture parts, but they've been, they have developed uh, technologies for connected vehicles for several years. Several of our members already are in the telematics and connected car and ADOS and other areas. Um, then there's a, a handful of companies that are looking at applying sensors to their parts. They're not in the connected world yet, but they are going to, they're putting sensors on their parts so that they can detect how the part performs mm-hmm. over time. And then there's another group of companies that, as, as I think Bill alluded to this, they're sort of waiting to see, waiting to see what's going to happen, direction mm-hmm. things go. Um, but part of our uh, responsibility as the association representing our members is to represent them in Washington on some of these technology and software and, and, and copyright and access to vehicle information, and also to help lead the way and help them to understand what's coming around the curve, what's ahead as far as technology. So the, the, our members are the leading producers of replacement parts and chemicals and tools, as I said, today and as part of our job to help them get ready for being the leaders and doing that in the future. Thank you very much. Very, very happy to have you on the show. We have a little segment called uh, What's in Your Cup today, Chris. I think I told you about this on our prep call. We're going to make this really brief because we have a lot to pack into the next 13 minutes of the show. This is one of our 28-minute specials. This is zooming down the highway, right, Bill Newman? We're doing a half show. We're doing it short and sweet and packing a lot of information into it. So, Mr. Chris Gardner, where are you calling from? I think I know, but I'd love love to hear you say it on the air. And what are you drinking that powers you in your role as VP of Member Services at the AASA. Chris? I'm located in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. That's the Raleigh-Durham area, and Mm -hmm. this is where our headquarters is located. We are not in Detroit, like a lot of people would think, nor are we in Washington, D.C., like a lot of people would think, although we have offices in both those locations. Um, I am drinking a cup of ice water, and the reason is, is because as common as coffee is, Excuse me. Not only do I not drink coffee, I've never even tasted it. Matter of fact, I don't even like the smell of it. So that's (laughs) a little weird, a little odd, but I've never even tasted it. Not at all. And by the way, we discovered you and I are about 10 miles apart. Bill Newman, I'm in Durham, North Carolina now, and he's in Research Triangle. We're about 10 miles away. So I told Chris, I'm going to lean out the window, except it's kind of cold out there. We just had snow yesterday. I'm going to lean out the window and my non-curly but very red hair, and I'm going to wave. And Chris, do you see me? Can you wave back, please? Yeah, I waving do, back. Only because I have on my glasses. That's the only reason I can see you. Okay, good. I've got mine on too. I see you clearly now. Thank you very much, Bill Newman. Where art thou? What are you drinking? And then we'll move on fast. Go ahead, Bill. Uh, so I'm in the Detroit metro area. Uh, we ah. still have snow. Uh, we still have snow on the ground. We're getting kind of tired of seeing it now. The groundhog was right. We got a long winter, so it's uh, it's still with us. So uh, we're we're sharing that bond of snow today. Um, I've got a 
cup of uh, Kona coffee with a little bit of uh, half and half, but um, listeners know that I'm infamous for the uh, Irish cream recipe at the yes. holiday time. So, not not this morning though. We're gonna we're gonna keep it uh, we're gonna keep it moving along this morning. We certainly are. We'll do the recipe later in the year. I know you'll be back. So let me look at some of the discussion statements the two of you have sent me, and let's see if we can do We've already covered a lot of them, actually, in our opening conversation. But let's talk about, I like a comment here from Chris Gardner about supply chain. Chris, let me read it, and then you can expand it for a minute and a half or so. We'll see what Bill Newman has to say. You say supply chain technology is enhancing the ability to predict demand down to the vehicle level, it also will continue to be impacted by large e-tailer, not retailer, e-tailer penetration into the aftermarket. Can you can you give us a little more detail on this, please, Chris? Sure, Bonnie. Um, so we, everybody knows uh, the term big data and uh, data analytics. That's that's been around for a while. A lot of the um, companies in the aftermarket space, I think, we're a little bit slow to this. So over the past three to five years, they've been implementing uh, big data-type capabilities, uh, even a few of them appointing or assigning someone to the position of data scientist. Um, so the predictive tools, as I mentioned earlier, are getting better and better, and they're helping address a major problem that's plagued the industry for years, and that's excess inventory. Our, the automotive aftermarket is amazingly effective but is really bad at being efficient. There's inventory to make sure someone's vehicle is serviced quickly everywhere, all over the country. Um, but analyzing the data through uh, BI tools is starting to help suppliers drive forecasting models and then their efforts to get closer to accurate demand planning. So th- that ultimate goal is the right part, the right place, at the right time. Now, if you, on top of that, or at the same time that's happening, e-tailers and online marketplaces are completely changing the game. And suppliers are increasingly creating and optimizing their relationships with these new e-tailers and online marketplaces. And they're not new anymore. They, they were 10 years ago, but not anymore. So that's created the need for suppliers to have omni-channel market strategies. And we're just our members are just learning. They're still learning how to deal with this and how to, to, to make the best use of it. But those two things, the better BI and data analytics tools at the same time with the influence of e-tailers um, who are trying to change the distribution models. It's creating havoc in our industry, but it's creating a lot of opportunities as well. Very interesting. Thank you. And Bill Newman, any thoughts on this one? Well, I think Chris hits on a really you know, important trend that's happening, and that's, you know, if you look at if you look at vehicles, and we've talked a lot about, you know, what does the future of the vehicle look like on this show, um, you're really talking uh, about not only connecting parts and the um, platforms that those parts create information, share information, update information in a vehicle, but also how does that vehicle communicate to the driver-consumer? Um, how does that driver-consumer talk to the home or the residence, um, even to the appliance, even to the clothing? So you've got this big, big, big lake, this big pool of information that you're trying to connect. And, and really that's where, you know, organizations like McKinsey and others are really trying to see how do, how do you take advantage of that and monetize that opportunity? And, 
Chris, your point is that, you know, oftentimes the spare parts and aftermarket business does lag the original design because it's more reactive. But, but I think the shift that's happening is that in the independent aftermarket space, you, you see companies like Mojo who are creating um, aftermarket add-ons to capture digital information and enhance that driver uh, consumer experience with, um, you know, apps and, and again, uh, digital information. And that's really a shift from, uh, as we talked about earlier, from, from hard parts to smart parts. And, uh, and that's the shift that's really going to be um, changing the course for a lot of automotive aftermarket suppliers in the years to come. Thank you, Bill. I think we have time to squeeze in another topic here. I'm looking at your notes, and I see a word pop out that catches my attention. You say, in many cases, automotive suppliers are turning manufacturing schedules over to finance, aha, to understand the margin implications of planned production. What does finance have to do with this? Well, that's it's, it's interesting because now, you know, so we've got, you know, part of the business is digitizing how we make products and, and kind of that future state. But there's this whole, if you will, we call it mode one, mode two manufacturing and operations. We're in the mode one space. It's really about operational efficiency. And because of the advent of um, in-memory computing and the ability to have deep insights into the operational areas of uh, an automotive company, um, finance can um, has the capability now to reach in to different parts of the business and say, what are you making? What's the margin going to be? How fast can you make it? Where is it going to be sold? And finance can now partner with manufacturing in a, in a very um, predictive and insightful manner to say, you know what, um, if, if we're going to make some this next batch of parts, um, if we shift the composition a little bit, you'll actually make your margin targets this year or this month. And finance now can partner with manufacturing to, to make the organization as a manufacturing organization uh, much more profitable and serve, serve the customer better. I mean, we've talked about on the show where there are actually some uh, demand projection scenarios from really big data, you know, big non-contextual data sources like even weather patterns. Uh, the nor'easter is another nor'easter just this week is going to hit mm-hmm. uh, New England. And so what happens when you uh, are able to see in a particular geographic area what are the what are the park demand could be from a weather pattern of s- similar signature based on history, based on projections? And can you, just like we prepare some grocery stores and, and building supply companies for a hurricane event, can you actually get some of those spare parts and some of those aftermarket parts to the area uh, anticipating that demand? So, again, just new ways to run your business to be more profitable and to be better in touch with the driver consumer. Thank you, Bill. Guess what? It is time for us to move to our predictions round, but I want to give Chris Gardner just 30 seconds to reply or to challenge, rebut, agree with what Bill Newman just said about the involvement of finance in planning and prediction. Uh, for sure, um, companies are having to watch every part of their business, uh, and it's interesting that automotive aftermarket parts manufacturers many times share facilities with their OE divisions. They're making parts for the automakers. And so it, 
many cases, finance has gotten involved to identify which parts run on which line at which times because of demand. OE demand is much easier to predict than the aftermarket, as Bill was saying, because weather, gas prices, and so many other things impact it. So, yeah, we've seen a a significant increase in the influence of uh, finance on production. Thank you very much. And now, Chris, while I have you, it's time for our crystal ball predictions round. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. What do you think is going to happen? Can we look at 2020 or you want to go farther out? 60 seconds. Give me some kind of prediction about aftermarket. We already know about what the, the, the dollar amount is going to be. We already know where the industry is going to explode. What's your, your view on anything else you'd like to predict? Chris Gardner, 60 seconds, all yours. Well, um, one, I would like to go out beyond 2020 to 2025, and what, what I think we'll see is some of the new vehicle technologies and mobility models, we didn't really talk about that much, but there's going to be a huge shift in vehicle ownership, fewer cars per household or per driveway, and more of a fleet management um, model because of ride-sharing, because Uber and Lyft and companies like that are going to be purchasing lots of vehicles. They're already starting to do it, even autonomous vehicles. So maintaining those fleets from the automotive mm-hmm. aftermarket perspective will change. There will still be plenty of vehicles to maintain. It just may be done a little differently than in the past. So by 2025, I think you'll see ownership shift from individual, not completely by any means, but a major shift to more of a fleet management model. Thank you very much. Bill Newman, 30 seconds for your prediction. Go ahead. I know you can do it. Well, I think to build on what Chris was saying, Bonnie, um, when you see the tipping point of, of a vehicle, and again, in this new connected autonomous vehicle fleet that Chris, you had mentioned, when you see that we're consuming and utilizing those vehicles at levels far above what we're today, I mean, most, of the, most individuals, I think, operate their vehicles 20 to 30% of the time because they're parked in the garage or in a parking structure or what have you. Mm -hmm. When that goes to 90% because we're using them and when we're not using them, they're out servicing other driver consumers. That's really going to put a huge pressure on the infrastructure of how we do maintenance repair on those vehicles. And that is really where um, the rubber is going to heat, you know, meet the road uh, with with respect to the automotive aftermarket. It's just going to be a very, very, fundamental shift in the business operations for many companies. Agree. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Chris. Time for us to close out this this part. I have a prediction, and my prediction is that we'll be back with part two of this very interesting conversation, and this time we're going to focus on the AASA digital aftermarket survey results in more detail. Thank you to our special guest, Chris Gardner at AASA, Bill Newman at SAP. Shout out to Dave Parrish and Miranda Labate at SAP for helping to put this together. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and yes, I'm drinking water because they don't let me near caffeine on radio show days. Forgot to say that here in Durham, North Carolina, so I have one word of uh, my call to action for all of my audience and for my two special guests. Fasten your seatbelt. How appropriate. We're talking about cars. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Chris Gardner, just like Bill Newman, and just like me. We'll be back in a little while with part two. Don't go away. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, or more appropriately, if you want to drive with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is today. I have a little bit of very, very smart intelligence from the 2017 AASA Digital Aftermarket Survey. And if you're wondering what those letters stand for, you know we love alphabet soup. It's Automotive Aftermarket Suppliers Association, hence AASA. Listen to this. Automotive suppliers need to stay on par with the customer experience and fulfillment accuracies of the big three marketplace platforms. I think you all know what they are, Amazon, eBay, and AutoZone. Hmm. So let's look at some facts here. I have a question, a pop quiz. What will have an $850 billion annual revenue in North America and a projected growth of $1.2 trillion by 2030? Uh, you may not know the answer. I'm going to give it to you. It's the automotive aftermarket segment. What happens after? After the car leaves the shop, leaves the platform, leaves the manufacturing facility, we'll find out a definition exactly of what aftermarket is. So while traditional aftermarket sales are growing modestly, guess what? The digital aftermarket will pow, 
explode in a good way. But companies need to have operational efficiencies and flexibility, just like any any industry, in order to take advantage of these opportunities for big growth and big profits. The experts speak, and I have two experts with me. Let me tell you who they are. First up in a moment, I'll be welcoming our good friend Bill Newman, William, but he lets me call him Bill. We've known him for years. North America Strategic Industry Advisor at SAP, one of our car guys. And joining him is Chris Gardner, Vice President of Member Services at AASA. So welcome to both gentlemen, and let's see what we've got here. Bill Newman has sent me a quote from, actually, it's supposedly from FDR, that's Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, but who was, let's see, FDR, American statesman, political leader, 32nd president of the U.S. from 1933 until his death in 1945. But this is from the mouth of John Voight, who played FDR in the 20, well, 2001 film, Pearl Harbor. Very interesting. So here's the quote. I like sub-commanders. They have no time for, I'll just say BS, and neither do I. Bill Newman, fascinating quote. Talk to me. How are you? I'm great, Bonnie. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. So what do you what do you think? How'd you pick this for we're talking about an automotive aftermarket and you've got a quote about sub-commanders, submarine, and BS. I, I really need a link here, Bill Newman. Right, right. So, uh, well, first of all, it's uh, it's a great movie, and uh, I I enjoy John Boyd's portrayal of FDR. It you know it just occurs to me that um, you know the aftermarket uh, industry in, in in automotive it it just is one of those no nonsense uh, I got to do what I need to do when I need to do it type of businesses, and it just struck me that this quote rang pretty pretty well and very personal with many of the actors in the automotive aftermarket space. Okay, interesting. I have to tell you something. Did you know that this was the first time a movie nominated for Worst Picture? It got six Golden Raspberry Awards, including Worst Picture. The first time it was the same movie was nominated for four Academy Awards and won an Oscar for Best Sound Editing. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, I didn't. I didn't know about its uh, many different uh, reviews, but I did know that it, it did win an, uh, an Academy Award. Yes, I did know that. Yes, it was so badly reviewed by the critics, but it made fifty-nine million dollars opening weekend and four hundred fifty million worldwide. Considering that was seventeen years ago, that was probably pretty impressive. Thank you very much, Bill. I'm still laughing about this one. And now Chris Gardner has sent us a, a very interesting quote from Ronald Reagan. Ronald Wilson Reagan. 1911 to 2004, and he was the 40th president of the U.S. from 1981 to 89. He was also a Hollywood actor, talking about a link back and forth to movies here, and a union leader, as well as the 33rd governor of California from 67 to 75. And here's the quote. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. Chris Gardner, welcome. How are you? Bonnie, doing great. Thank you again for having me. Delighted. Talk to me about this quote. Well, I think it's appropriate in the in the face of an industry, as Bill mentioned, that's a very steady. Every year grows one, two, three and a half percent a year. Very steady, very successful industry, but it's going to be disrupted. Everybody knows that, so innovation is required. So, I, the it takes fortitude and gumption and focus and even a little intentionality to innovate. And not be status quo. And I think being status quo is dangerous for this industry because of so much digital disruption that's heading our way. Tom Landry said that 
innovation was the most important factor in his his success as a football coach. And so I think it's just it's critical that uh, this industry innovates. How brave do they have to be, Chris? Can we just crunch this down a little bit? You are uh, VP of Member Services at AASA. Do they feel your members feeling brave or faint-hearted, or any of them standing on the sidelines, quite afraid to dip their toe in the water of this exploding digital aftermarket segment of the industry? Are they saying, "Well, let's wait and see. Well, let's see if we get any major disruptors, and then we have to dive into the deep end of the pool." So, is anybody being faint-hearted and losing out right now? I don't want you to name names, but any observations? I think with anything like this, there are there are the those that are innovating and moving forward. There are those that are uh, sticking their toe in the water a little bit, and then those that are waiting and seeing. Nobody, I don't think anybody's hurting today because there's just so much business uh, servicing vehicles Mm -hmm. in this industry. But as time goes on, I think what what you'll see is companies that, that aren't brave enough. To um, to take a you know little, not risk but take a chance on hiring new people or partnering with emerging technology companies or whatever probably are going to be acquired or go out of business or be relegated mm-hmm. to commodity type parts in the future. Thank you very much, Bill. I heard you. You want to make a comment about that one, Bill Newman? No, I just I just want to echo on what Chris is saying. I mean, it's um, you know a lot of companies can can make a good business, you know, running two to three percent annual growth rate. Um, I think what we see though is that the big opportunity is going to come from digitizing those parts and those products. And the the study that uh, was conducted by AASA and um, and SAP last year. Uh, really started to touch on what are the processes that need to be done in order to enable a company to take that big leap. And um, and it's really compelling. And, and to Chris, your point, I think that some companies are going to be brave and they're going to make that leap and others won't be and, and they will be relegated to, uh, to commodity status. Thank you very much. Let's move around. Bill, while I have you, I just want to know quickly where are you calling from today and what do you love to drink, even if it's not in your cup right this moment? <laughs> uh, well, I'm in Detroit today and uh, do am enjoying a little bit of uh, coffee with uh, cream, but uh, as listeners know, I'm quite fond of my holiday Irish cream recipe, so um woulda, coulda, shoulda, but uh, today's a work day, so we're keeping it, uh, we're keeping it good today, Bonnie. Thank you very much for behaving. Chris Gardner, I'm sorry I had to say that. Chris Gardner, where are you and, and what do you love to drink? Even if it's not in front of you right now, Chris, what's your, what's your passionate drink? Well, I'm, uh, probably uh, listeners can tell I am in the south and I'm in uh, North Carolina here at Research Triangle Park. And as being a born and bred and native southerner, I drink tea. And we say tea here. We don't have to say iced tea. We don't have to say sweet tea. Ah. It's just tea. <laughs> so it's the kind in a tall glass with a lot of ice cubes and maybe a little lemon, maybe a little sugar, maybe a li- mint leaf, maybe a little booze in it, and that would be the Long Island version where I come from. Is that right, Chris? <laughs> well, I don't drink the Long Island version, but uh, I know a lot of people who do. 
Okay, we'll leave it at that, talking about behaving. All they let me have on radio days is water, no caffeine, so I've got my Cool Clear mug of Cool Clear water with a pink straw because I'm in Durham, uh, 10 miles away from Chris Gardner today, and I, I hope we get a chance to meet. We're so located so closely, and um, I have a pink straw because, as Chris knows, it snowed last night. It's a gorgeous sunny day, and we're just delighted. The trees and the shrubs are still green, poking out of the snow, so we're hoping for lots of sunshine and no snow very very, very soon. It'll be 47 today here, so maybe the snow will melt quickly. Who knows? So let's do a deep dive into our topic here, and we are focusing right now on the AASA Aftermarket Study 2017. Let me start with a couple of, of tidbits from this survey. Uh, Bill Newman, I'm looking at your notes here, so let me just go through the first one here, and then we'll have you and Chris both respond. You say, when vehicles reach full autonomy, that's an interesting topic in itself, the aftermarket segment will realize peak disruption as vehicle utilization levels surpass 90%. Can you deconstruct that for me, Bill Newman, please? You'll have to repeat. I was It was staticky and cut off for about 30, 40 seconds, Bonnie. I'm okay. Sorry. That's okay. I'm going to I'm going to repeat this statement from the... Well, there, there are a lot of different tenets to that uh, or tentacles, but uh, uh, part of it is the, the, the mobility models will change. So vehicles are going to be utilized more often, their utilization will go from, you know, I don't, we, Bill can quote the numbers better than I can, but very low percentage per day or, you know, number of hours a day compared to utilizing them a lot. And so they're going to wear out faster, which that you would think that's good for the aftermarket and miles driven typically is good for the automotive aftermarket and will probably create opportunities there. But at the same time, there's, uh, there's some predictions that scrappage rates will increase and that cars will just be literally worn out out after three years, four years, five years. And the automotive aftermarket sweet spot is between, you know, is after five years, after warranties are, are typically over. So that's one of the potential headwinds is, um, is vehicles just won't be around as long. They'll use them, wear them out, and move on to the next one. Very that's interesting. Good. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah just, mm-hmm. to jump, yeah, just to jump in on there, what Chris is saying, I think some of the numbers that we've seen is that uh, the, the consumption rates currently for the driver-owned vehicle that you take to work, you park in your car at night, are somewhere around 20, 25, 30%, maybe, depending on what your commute is like in some metro areas if you're coming in. And when we look at consuming connected autom- autonomous vehicles at a rate starting to push 80, 85, 90%, uh, exactly to Chris's point, um, the the maintenance uh, you're just going to consume that vehicle so much quickly, and and it should be good one would think for the aftermarket because your sweet spot's probably coming in maybe in terms of months, a mm-hmm. couple of years as opposed to five to ten years. But the infrastructure to actually do all that maintenance and repair work just doesn't exist today. I mean, the Probably the closest thing we have to it are some of the car rental fleet companies that are out there. Um, so this is a real concern in the industry and, and for part makers is what's the infrastructure going to be to actually make those repairs and put those replacement parts on vehicles at a higher consumption rate? And we just don't have many answers to that right now. Well, we're in, a, we're in a looking and see. Are we are we in a, a waiting position here? Wait, w a i t i n g. Are we in a waiting position, or is it happening so fast that if you blink, Bill, there's going to be an answer to your question in the next ten minutes or the next ten ten days or months? How fast is I it moving? Still, 
Yeah, I think we're still waiting and seeing on that. Um, I think that we're looking at, at a tipping point of full uh, uh, to go to connected autonomous vehicles in the 2030 um, space, which I think is, is a consistent number with what we've talked about on some previous uh, radio shows together, Bonnie. So from that perspective, we have some time. But having said that, I mean, GM's already announced that for their connected fleet, they're taking the, the driver pedals and steering wheel out um, in next model year. So, you know, the OEMs are already moving towards creating cars specific vehicles, specific for um, driverless use. And so with that comes a response, you know, what are the, uh, what are the aftermarket uh, manufacturers and spare part makers going to do? Um, in response to that move. And uh, again, we're waiting to see how it trickles down the value chain. Thank you. Speaking of that, I'm looking at a very interesting comment here. Chris Gardner, in your notes, and, and let me pull this one up and see what you have to say. You say, decisions must be made about buy versus build, internal development versus partnerships, acquire or be acquired. So what's the cultural, are we seeing a major cultural shift in the aftermarket segment? Where are they leaning, the buy versus build, et cetera, et cetera? Chris, what do you see from your vantage point at AASA? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, that, that was uh, in reference to the, the significant increase in the number of companies that are developing mobility and other connected technologies. Um, and so the, the buy versus build is, is, is something that the aftermarket supplier, the, the parts manufacturers, have to wrestle with. So they've got to decide, am I going to uh, develop my own sensors and connectivity and ability to write, read from a part and write back to a part, or am I going to rely on a third-party company to develop that and I just partner with them? Or do I need to just uh, go acquire five or six companies that do that? The OEMs have been doing this for several years, and, and, and even some of the larger uh, OE parts suppliers. But the aftermarket suppliers are just getting around to looking at that. Do I develop this organically, internally, or do I mm-hmm. partner with someone or, or buy? And there's going to be a lot of changes in the companies and, and who they make, how are they made up, and uh, who they partner with in the near future. Thank you very much. Bill Newman, thoughts on that? What do you see? I just completely agree with Chris's observations. Um, you know, the, the large automakers have been have been trying to figure out this uh, make-or-buy approach to um, new technology, big data, digitization, particularly into the vehicle now for several years. And, and, and those that have, um, there is a little separation now between those that got an early start and those that are now just coming around to it and have some uh, ground to gain. And, and again, that is all going to have an impact to not only the uh, OE parts makers in automotive, but also for the aftermarket uh, parts uh, suppliers as well. Thank you, Bill. Chris, I'm looking at another comment here pulled from your AASA Aftermarket Study 2017. Let me read this and see what you have to say. Based on survey findings, the most important process facing aftermarket suppliers was in the area of data storage and retrieval, everything from parts data to order history to pricing information and the complete part history and life cycle of an aftermarket supplier and his or her portfolio. So how is that coming along? Are they able to retrieve and analyze the data when and where they need to, or is this a work in progress? 
is absolutely a work in progress, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Um, a, many of our members have uh, have either built internally or they have purchased externally uh, PIM systems, that's product information management systems. There is there's probably no other industry in this on this planet that is more application oriented. So you have to identify which make, model, year, drivetrain, engine, etc. that a part fits. It's very important. So if you consider all the production information, uh, weather, uh, gas prices, sales history, all the trends, economic trends, um, and, and all the different parts that are available, all the different vehicles that are available, there's so much data, manufacturing data, inventory data, that a, that a parts manufacturer has to consider. It's so important to be able to, to collect that data to normalize it and standardize it and to take advantage of it. Now, there are tools out there. There's better tools all the time, BI tools, data analytics tools, PIM systems, as I said. But our members are, are just coming around in the last five years to taking a, a hard analytical look at how they manage that internally. So it's getting better, to answer your question. Thank you very much. Bill, what do you observe? Bill Newman. Well, I think... I think that there's a lot of change that's coming into into the parts um, structure, and um, and to respond to that, there are some really key processes that need to be developed. And our study brought out the fact that um, there's a there's a big what we'll call need gap, so where companies aspire to be versus where their current capability is uh, in real basic things like logistics, um, in in customer management processes. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of going back to operational efficiencies and what companies are doing to, you know, be more effective as well as efficient. Um, you know, we've we've talked in the past that uh, aftermarket companies are very effective, but they're not particularly efficient. And there are some real opportunities near term to uh, to make uh, big changes and move the needle with some of these. Uh, pretty basic processes that a lot of companies have had to uh, address in the past that are just now coming around in terms of digitalization to the aftermarket uh, segment. Thank you. And I'm going to try and squeeze in here. We've got five more minutes. I'm going to try and squeeze in one more of the findings. Chris, I'm going to bounce this over to you. Based on survey findings, this is the AASA Aftermarket Study 2017. Customer-facing processes were rated as important or very important, forming the basis of emphasis from B2B and B2B2C processes expected to be digitized. That's the key word I'm looking at over the next three to five years. So if you could just help us out uh, quickly, Chris, what what are these processes? Which ones do they see needing to be digitized that are specifically customer facing? Uh, well, uh, good question, Bonnie. There's the aftermarket has been pretty good over the years at, at uh, taking advantage of uh, electronic and uh, cataloging and ele- electronic data interchange or EDI and other e-commerce mm-hmm. processes through the years. Um, but that's even some of those have um, become a little bit old as far as technology goes, and mm-hmm. so now the with the multi-channel and omni-channel marketing approaches, um, manufacturers have got to be able to uh, collect information from their customers via you know point of sale data and 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 sales history and things like that, and then. Uh, be able to work with not just their traditional distributors, 
and retailers, but the, the online marketplaces and e-tailers are introducing new, quick, fast, easy ways to collect information from customers, like buying preferences, things like that, and to convert those into sales. And so um, it's really the, the, your, your question is about um, it would cover all types of processes, but it's the ability to understand point of sale data, to do forecast, demand planning, mm-hmm. um, and, and production planning. It's not easy in the automotive aftermarket when there's so many variables, but, um, but those are some of the processes that, are, that, are, that were originally slowly, but now they're quickly becoming digitized. Thank you. Bill Newman, you want to add something? I'll give you just one minute to add on to what Chris said if you'd like to embellish or, or challenge him, whatever you think. Well, I, yeah, I think to Chris's point, um, we, there's always in automotive industry the, the challenge of companies to get as close to their customer, their end driver, consumer customer as possible. And, you know, when, when you're dealing in the aftermarket space and oftentimes your, your products are being sold through e-tailing channels like uh, AutoZone or eBay or even, uh, you know, in, in-store in traditional brick-and-mortar channels like uh, O'Reilly's or Pep Boys, it, it's hard to get that connection to your customer. And, and once you do, that's golden. You have to keep that. You have to preserve it. You have to leverage that as much as possible, know what they're driving, how they drive, um, where they're driving, and be able to use very predictive models to figure out what offers can I give, you know, where where will the work be done, are they do it themselves people, or do they want to have somebody do it for me? And, and that is really a still a big opportunity for independent aftermarket suppliers. Thank you very much. And now it's time for our crystal ball predictions. I have 30 seconds for each of you, as the French say, vite, vite, mean quick, quick, or put your foot on the gas and hit it. Chris Gardner, what do you see coming down the pike? Are you working on a new survey? Talk to me about that quickly. What do you predict for the next survey, Chris? Well, I, I think that um, we, we are, we're working on a major survey right now um, that will help our members identify which product categories are going to go are going to increase or decrease or be eliminated with electrification of vehicles, the new mobility models we mentioned, telematics, connected ADOS or whatever. Um, so I think what my prediction is that a significant number of aftermarket companies are going to have to change their product mix to accommodate these changing vehicle technologies. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, Mr. Newman, 30 seconds for your predictions. Go. Well, I'm going to give a little bit of a shout-out to Chris and his colleagues at AASA. My prediction is going to be that uh, in the next week we're going to come together for their vision conference in Chicago. (laughs) Chris Chris and I are going to enjoy some time together, and we're going to have some deeper conversations around a number of digitization topics uh, when the tech committee meets on the uh, Friday following the main uh, the main conference, so really looking forward to uh, joining them, and uh, really grateful for uh, for ASA being a, a great uh, industry advocate on on behalf of the aftermarket suppliers. 
I like that kind of real-life, real-time prediction, Bill, because we know it's going to come true, and that's where we are. So, Chris Gardner, I predict one of these days you and I are going to bump into each other, but not with our cars somewhere, and you can have a glass of water or tea, and I'll have a cup of really good coffee somewhere, and let's make a day to do that. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to uh, David Parrish and Miranda LeBate, who worked on putting the show together. Chris Gardner, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you, and thank you for sharing your wisdom. Bill Newman, always a pleasure. We've got to get that recipe on the air. Shout out also to Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel at World Talk Radio. So here's my call to action, and I just love it on the show. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? It's the law, darn it. Put it on. But more important, go out and be a game changer today, just like Chris Gardner and the AASA and just like Bill Newman at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.